May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I'm going to begin with something that I promised myself I would never do. That is, to start a sermon with a Warren Buffett quote. Okay, just bear with me here. Okay. Warren Buffett was um, speaking to a bunch of, I don't know, business people or students who are studying business, and he got on a tangent, and he said, you know, for those of you who are interested in marriage, what is the single most important characteristic for a great, long-lasting marriage? Some of you may be thinking, sound financial planning. No. <laughs> Some of you may be thinking someone with deep character or great beauty or intellectual acumen. No, no, no. The single greatest characteristic for great, meaningful, long-lasting marriage is low expectations. Now, I do, not, I do not take that quote to be um, someone who is suggesting or encouraging laziness or inattentiveness, but rather someone who knows, um, both through business practices and also relationships, that we often, our partners, the ones that we care about, the ones that we have intertwined our lives with, we simultaneously begin to uh, develop um, and want someone who is going to fulfill all our needs, who will always know what we're thinking, who will anticipate what we need, and they will never disappoint us. And yet we all know that disappointment is around the corner at every turn. So having good, clear expectations that the ones that we love, they do love us, and they will also disappoint us. Now, I happen to think that anything, nearly anything that is a good marker for good relationships holds equally and with analogous benefit to the church. Each of us unconsciously sometimes begins to project our most, um, our, our greatest desires upon the things that we love, including the church. And perhaps one of the greatest characteristics of someone who will have a long-lasting, good relationship with the church is the person who knows and who can attest to the need for low expectations. <laughs> um, we will disappoint each other even when we don't mean to. Okay, all of that to say, this week I had a particularly hard time reading the gospel. I had a hard time with this week's gospel and uh, felt each time just a bit of disappointment. And 
Oftentimes, I put myself into the position of uh, wanting to bring out those kernels of truth in the gospel, of course, which I think are there. Um, but when I come to a passage that I go back to again and again and again and feel a sting of not disappointment, but of um, strange understanding uh, that I can't, that I feel some lack in uh, being able to penetrate what the value um, is that they are going for. So let's just uh, turn and look real quick. Jesus importantly spoke in parables. Um, he says quite explicitly that he speaks in parables because he speaks wanting people to understand him. He spoke as they were able to hear it, you know? And, uh, and so Jesus communicates some of the most core basic spiritual truths into parables. The nice thing about parables, like movies, is that they invite a suspension of disbelief. As we're reading through it, it sounds perfectly plausible, but after just a few minutes of thought, um, there's usually something very odd about it, something that, um, after a little bit of pressing, doesn't make quite a bit of sense, kind of like a dream. Honestly, a lot of Matthew's parables feel like dreams to me. So look at this one. Um, uh, the very first part, uh, there's kind of two parts to this, the, the giving of the parable and then the interpretation of the parable. The first interesting thing is that um, it's the master himself who sows the seeds. And very soon after, we learn that the master not only has servants, reapers, but also slaves. Why is it that the, the landowner is sowing his own crop, right? That seems like very unusual. Um, the second part that uh, seems very un un weird to me uh, is that um, when the crop comes up and um, the people on the property notice that there are both uh, uh, Good, good wheat and also weeds. The master's explanation for how the weeds got there is that someone planted them, okay? Do we have any gardeners in here? Um, nobody plants weeds, okay? <laughs> the weeds are just there. Uh, yeah. If there was an enemy who was like wanting to um, affect a crop, they burn the crops. <laughs> they do not spend hours upon hours going about uh, secretly planting weeds, right? That, like, doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, uh, and the other thing is, uh, for those of you who have done some, like, gardening and, and, and uh, harvesting of gardens, um, the idea that you can't pluck out weeds also seems incomprehensible, right? Uh, that's something that we easily do. Uh, the part that I had a really difficult time with, though, is that the interpretation, uh, the interpretation of what's happening here that Jesus gives. Uh, at the very end, the Son of Man will send his angels, and they will collect out of his kingdom all causes of sin, and all evildoers, and they will throw them into the furnace of fire. Oof. That's really hard for me. And I, and I want to tell you, I don't understand it. Uh, but let me tell you what I do understand. Let's start with that, okay? 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Gospels were written, all of them, in double voice. Double voice is this literary technique um, that, like, even now we're, of course, very familiar with. Think of any historical drama in the last, like, 10 or 15 years, or in any modern cinema. Um, like, for instance, uh, 12 Years a Slave, that, uh, the historical drama about Solomon Northrop, who was a free um, African-American man in the North who was captured and um, sold into slavery illegally, and he spent 12 years a slave. Um, that historical drama is both about getting the history right, his life and the kind of arc of that story, but also the movie means to address our own contemporary society, our own uh, sense of loss of rights, the fragility of rights, right? So all of us, when we watch these movies, we, we think, of course, about the historicalness, but we think, how does this apply to us? Because the writer and the director meant for you to think of those things, to ask those type of questions. How does this, what, what is, how does this compare to what we're going through today? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all do the same thing. They are writing the Gospels, trying to capture the life of Jesus, the saving works of Jesus, but they're also writing specifically to a group of people who are um, a, a church that is struggling. So for instance, uh, in the early communities of the Christian faith, there were lots of competing ways of understanding who Jesus was. Um, uh, lots of uh, traditional Jews did not see Jesus as the Messiah, um, were not interested in walking in the way of the cross uh, on the one hand, and also there were plenty of disagreements within the church about how to understand Jesus, specifically about how much of the Jewish rituals they still needed to observe. Now all that seems like very kind of arcane and uh, difficult to break through. But when Matthew gives this parable, this parable is not found in any of the other Gospels, not in Mark or Luke or John. Matthew is trying to address something very specific to his community that he felt like the other Gospels didn't address and also that need to be addressed. The thing at issue, as you might be able to guess here, is how do you deal with fierce disagreement in a community. Now, as unlikely as it sounds, as unlikely as it seems, at least to me, in my first few readings, this gospel is trying to give license to these churches to form a more pluralistic community than at the time was imaginable. Matthew is trying to convince the church to allow people who have very serious disagreements to stay in community with one another. Look, let, but he replied, no. Uh, the slave said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? That is to like pull up all the weeds? But he replied, no. For in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the weak along with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. 
wheat and weeds, the type of weeds that um, uh, Jesus is talking about here, everyone would have known that they are indistinguishable to the wheat until at the very end um, when they uh, begin to blossom, show the tares. So what Matthew is saying here is, look, uh, yes, there's very serious disagreement. Do not try to put yourself in the position of separating out who is right and who is wrong and trying to remove them from the community. Let them both grow together. Uh, which at the time was uh, a way more uh, pluralistic way of living than, than was thought. At the time it was like, listen, if, if people are disagreeing, you got to get them out of the community. You got to pull them out. Um, forcefully, not forcefully, you just can't let those who see the world differently stay with you. And Matthew is trying to push back on that. Now, of course, the part that I still really wrestle with, the part that I don't understand, and the part that just made a lot of sense to them back then, was in this, in my view, um, lustful desire for uh, vengeance in the end that's meted out by God. That um, we're not responsible for vengeance or violence. We shouldn't do that, but God will burn those um, in the end. I just want to point out that, the, that these parables always exist in the larger context. And the thing that I always come back to, the thing that I think the church after Jesus still struggled with, is that when Jesus came back after being wrongly, violently put to death, he did not come back with this type of vengeance. Gather up all those who um, participated in my arrest and conviction and death and banish them. Um, those were not, that was not the message of Jesus. Jesus came back, what? Even after ultimate betrayal with forgiveness. And so, I, in my view, this is a passage where the church is still struggling is still struggling with the radical, ultimate kind of forgiveness that Jesus gave to, as Paul says, all of creation through the cross. Now, fast forward 2,000 years for us. This last week, um, these last couple of weeks, uh, watching the continuing ecological collapse has been really difficult, obviously, uh, but this, it's just been forceful for me these last couple of weeks. And what makes, I think, the Gospels and the Bible so powerful is that it speaks to desires still within us. And my hope, just to gather up all those who are preventing and blocking us doing radical um, steps to address climate change, to gather that all up and throw into the fire. <laughs> do you know? This text is talking about what to do with evil in our midst. So it's not talking about hamburgers or hot dogs or simple aesthetic disagreements, but those disagreements that strike to the very community. How are we going to live together? And the possibility of some people pushing us towards evil, towards injustice, 
towards the, 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 the uh, dehumanization of others. Uh, so that's the gravity. And even in me, I think, I just want to, wouldn't the world be better if we could just gather up all those people <laughs> who see the world differently than me and cast them out? Uh, that still is sown deep in me. But here, Matthew uh, has Jesus preach a very different message. No matter how forceful our disagreements with one another, no matter how sure we are that I am right and they are wrong, uh, the parable does not say give up on your disagreements, but does say find a way to live together. Find a way to, as we say in this church, mirroring the words of Jesus, to live God's love. Even when there is deep disagreement, even when we're sure of our own righteousness, find a way to stay in community, to listen, to acknowledge. And as Warren Buffett would say, if we can lower our expectations a bit, if we can learn to live through the disappointment, live through the feelings of betrayal, there is that greater thing, which is the body of Christ, a love that knows no end. Amen.